Welcome to Books, Kids, and Creations, a part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I am your host, Tracy Bloom, and I feature people who inspire future generations with their work. And today, I have the privilege and honor of speaking with somebody extraordinary. Um, Lori Garver is, um, I will just go on and on and on about her background. She was the principal advisor on aerospace issues to three presidential candidates. Uh, She led the NASA transformation team for President Obama. She served as a deputy administrator for the space agency from 2009 to 2013 and is known as the architect of the new era of commercial partnerships that allowed SpaceX to carry astronauts to and from International Space Station. She has won many awards and she's also been named the um nasa she's received nasa distinguished service medals several times so Lori, you have done so much and thank you so much for being here thank you for having me it's wonderful to be with you and so you just put out a new book and i would love to talk all about it it's called escaping gravity my quest to transform nasa and launch a new space age Um, You have done so much work in the, you know, with um, astronauts and with space, but you also have a background in policy and um, politics and all of that. And it's kind of this wonderful merriment of both worlds that put you where you are today. But how did you get started in this field? What was your upbringing like as far as um, your interests and what led you on this path? Well, my path was unique. I think most of our paths are, but for a career in aerospace specifically, what was most unique is a combination of being from a small town in mid-Michigan where I didn't have any engineers or scientists in my family and being a girl growing up in the 60s and 70s. I wasn't really encouraged too much to Um, study the STEM fields. In fact, I have a little story in the book about when I was a junior in high school, I had a real aptitude for science and math and I loved it. And I had taken all our high school had to offer by the end of my junior year, um, five other people had as well. But when I got back from my senior year, those five other people had already been coordinated by the school to take calculus at the nearby university I had not been contacted and they were all boys. And when my mom asked why I hadn't um, been invited, they said it was specifically, well, they couldn't imagine why a girl would want to take calculus. Now, as I say in the book, she was more upset about this than I was um, (laughs) at the time, but it did channel me into the social sciences. So my undergraduate degree and I had growing up role models in my grandfather, my uncle, who were in the state Senate and legislature, and my father, who was um, a stockbroker. I really felt like you needed to be able to leave the world better than you found it. And that was my goal. And of course, there are millions of ways to do that. But I went to Washington, D.C. the day after I graduated from college and started volunteering on the campaign of John Glenn, John Glenn was the first American to orbit the earth, but that's not why I went to work for him. I went to work on his presidential campaign because I thought he would be a good leader. So we, um, he didn't make it very far in the campaign, but I met a lot of NASA people through that 
they helped me get another job and so on. And my space career was really more about learning what space could offer to help us all here on earth. And then I got a master's while working full-time at night as um, in space policy. And that's really what started my career early. I think that's so neat that you navigated that way. And it, it is just kind of like this perfect storm of all these different things that have happened in your life to get you to exactly where you are. Um, and you talk about, you know, the different people in your family, but something else you mentioned in your book was how you met these space pirates. And like in my head as a children's author, I have this whole other vision of what a space pirate is. Um, what is a space pirate? And you talked about them being like almost like family to you. Um, who are these incredible people? Yes. Well, of course, when you're writing uh, about a group of people, you need to come up with a moniker. And I describe these people in the book as really the earliest um, people who convinced me about the value of space. And to them, and they are mostly men, not anymore, but um, they really grew up in a, the time when the United States was going to the moon and they wanted to go further. Uh, in science fiction, space pirates are often described as people who go first, maybe before the government and break the norms of society by doing something um, that maybe we don't yet have laws over. In their case, they'd love to mine the asteroids. And mm -hmm. um, Mark Watney in the movie, The Martian, calls himself the first space pirate. But I believe um, that Han Solo is another uh, space pirate in, in sort of a, a modern depiction. And these individuals I worked with in my first decade in my space career because they were really interested in advancing programs that would lower the cost of space transportation and allow more people to have not only the experience of going, but the ability to access space can really create a lot of new ways of helping society. You think of it similar to when we first were able to transit the oceans right. um, or the atmosphere with aviation and now being able to do that in yet another realm the possibilities are endless yeah and and it's interesting you say that and you compare it to you know explorers going to different parts of the world and aviation and ocean exploration and all these things that have benefited humanity and there does seem like there's a huge um pushback especially all through your career people going no this isn't this or we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't go there or it's not for everyday people um for those people who have all that pushback how did you navigate through it because you went through a lot of i mean just in your book all that you endured and all that you overcame what was what was the most common reason for people pushing back on that i think the most common reason for people pushing back is that change disrupted their own way of, um, in, in some cases, their job, their livelihood, not just their way of thinking, but these are people who also grew up in Apollo, but they felt like we should just still be counting on the government to pay for either them as astronauts to go to space or these companies who are getting these 
big lucrative contracts from going to space or these members of Congress who had jobs in their district. And when I pushed for a more competitive environment, that was disrupting the status quo. And I was easier to attack as a woman. I was not being an engineer, someone who I think they felt they could just discredit. And although I was number two at NASA, the first chair at NASA, the administrator, was had been an astronaut himself and he was more part of the status quo and so it's pretty obvious to the community that i was the one pushing for these changes but of course the president of the united states had put these changes in his budget request our very first year and there was lots of support within the space pirate quarters for these programs, but a combination, I think, of having the lead person at NASA not able to really fight for these programs and having me as a female not with the same background as they were used to having. Um, now, I'll argue that perspective I had, that unique perspective, allowed me to see beyond sort of what the existing programs were doing and say, hey, I think we can do better. That all fast forward a decade is working even better than I would have imagined. And now everyone really is on board. So it was change that was hard. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about working with presidents. And I think it's fascinating that you've worked with not just one presidential campaign, but you've worked with many people in that realm. What is it like working with a president? And I mean, not many people get to say that they, you know, have worked directly with a president. What, is, what was that experience like? Yeah, working with a president is just as exciting as you'd imagine. In in my view, I was at NASA under President Clinton, although I didn't work for him directly. I was I had accompanied like the Apollo astronauts into the Oval Office because the history office was part of my department. And so I was um, lending a moon rock to the White House, those kinds of meetings. But when I first started advising presidential candidates, that cycle I was working for Hillary Clinton's campaign. And I had been her space policy person. And when candidate Obama beat her in the primary to their credit, the campaign reached out and said, we'd really like to talk to you about supporting our campaign. And my first conversation with him, he was a candidate, not a president. And that's a good thing because if you're less intimidated, you're a little more open. (laughs) I also was a little disappointed that my candidate hadn't won. And so I pushed back on some of the things that he was thinking about space. And I detailed this in the opening of the book because of course the publisher wants the really exciting story up front. And the bottom line is I was within that first conversation convinced he could be the person who helped um, NASA transform. He and I are the same age. So we grew up in the Apollo times and he wanted the agency to do more. Every time I met with him was special and I credit him with keeping up at least. I mean, you always know his staff is briefing him, but um, he really seemed to know 
what we were going through. My last, my not, it wasn't my very last time seeing him, but he came to Kennedy Space Center to the Cape for launch. And unfortunately that shuttle was delayed. Well, he was there with the first lady and the, the entire family, um, Michelle's mother, as well as the girls. And we were touring them around. At one point he held back the president to say to me, hey, Lori, I know you're the one who's taking the arrows for the team on this. And I want you to know, I appreciate it. And you know, it just carries you another two years. <laughs> it, it means everything. And I'm sure someone told him that in the briefing, but I read his memoir not too long ago. The first part of his memoir is out and he talks about his tour at the Cape does not mention me. That's not the point. The point is, as he and his family got on the helicopter to um, go to the Cape, he gave the okay for the uh, mission that the Navy SEALs went into to capture Osama bin Laden. Oh, like it was that day wow. as he got on the helicopter. And so then we're in the receiving in Florida. We know nothing about it. And he's able to focus on that day's things. Like it just, it was so poignant to me once I read that to see all that presence on their plate. Right. Cause those are big decisions, <laughs> really big decisions. Um, it, one other thing that kind of struck me in your book was that you talk about all these all these people who have invested a lot of their own resources and money to try to send people to space and do these, these missions. You know, you talk about all these, you make a joke in there about how do you, something with billionaires going to space and that, how do you become a millionaire? You start as a billionaire, you say it better, but um, you talk about all these people who spent years and years and years and a lot of their own time and money investing to um, develop programs that can send people to space. And I had no idea that, say, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or all of these other you know, cool billionaires um, had invested this much time because it only was recently that I think we're shown the attention of um, what they're doing when they've been working in the background since early 2000s, maybe even earlier than that on developing programs where they could send people to space. So I kind of just thought, oh, I guess it's not just like a, a whimsical um, ego comparison of these billionaires who just have so much money. It's people that have just spent and invested all this time. And I, I started wondering why these people, do you have, from your point of view, why do you think that each of these people um, came together almost at the same time to launch their programs. You know, it is a really unique thing and not something we anticipated yeah. in the 1980s and 90s. The early space pirates always felt these would be corporate investments that managed to eventually um, be able to have contracts with the government, but also office their, offer their services beyond just government astronauts. But in the early 2000s, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk both founded private space companies and their personal objectives are very long-term. In Elon's case, he talks about it quite a bit. He believes that humanity should uh, be starting again, a civilization. He believes Mars is the place and is working toward 
having the capability to send a lot of people there. It's, he doesn't want to say as a plan B in case something happens to the earth. He believes it should be a more positive goal, but that is related to his vision. Jeff uh, Bezos' vision is more aligned with the organization that I worked with the space pirates on called the National Space Society. And it follows um, a premise that, you know, here on Earth, we are using up our valuable um, resources. Mm -hmm. And he's been very focused on using space resources to allow for things like solar power satellites to take energy production that has been harmful to our environment off the earth and to have ultimately both of them this way millions of people living off the earth multi-generationally believing that's going to be required to help planet earth be able to remain uh, hospitable to us earthlings um those are aspirational goals. I'm not one who really believes they can achieve them in their lifetimes, but uh, who am I to say these people who've amassed hundreds of billions of dollars uh, don't know that. I think the there is also a business case to be made, but clearly they could make more money doing other things. And it's hard for me to relate to. I think they both grew up and I think boys are given more of this confidence to say you can do anything. I do talk a little bit in the book about how it's fascinating to me. We don't have women amassing those kinds of money or starting rocket companies. Um, There are many more uh, men doing this. And I guess there are reasons we probably will never know, but at least their long-term goals are quite positive. Yeah. Well, and that was one thing that I've always been curious about is, you know, is it just kind of like a a make money type of thing where you send people and you make ridiculous money off of the flights, but it seems like there's more of a focus on sustainability for the planet and ways that we can offload some of the things that are harming earth. It seems like, is that kind of what you envision for things like this as well? Yes, I do. Um, Long term. Yeah. Uh, To me, I'm quite focused on doing all we can with our uh, NASA government programs to help address the issues we have on Earth today, namely climate change, because we know what we know about what's happening here because of satellites. Um, We can have and do have um, uh, over 60 earth science satellites that are looking back at planet earth, measuring the interaction between the land, ice, sea, and atmosphere, and making these models that show us what's happening, what's happening and why. And as we make predictions going forward, we need more precise information to help limit suffering here on earth. But also we're now starting to be able to measure greenhouse gas emissions, uh, which will help us be able to validate treaties or any type of um, policies we put in place to limit greenhouse gas emissions. And I think that the role NASA can play in that is larger even than what it's playing now, but they've been really critical in a, in a positive way. And yes, 
ultimately, and I call the book Escaping Gravity, not just, I say, because, you know, we learned by working really hard toward a common goal to beat gravity and launch people and satellites and spacecraft off the planet, but we need to beat the gravity of our situation. Love that. And for for kids who are are looking to do work like you do, and they want to, you know, some kids say they want to grow up and be an astronaut. Sure, that's you know, it's always been a common answer for kids. But but for children, especially little girls who want to follow in your footsteps or do the work that you do, um, what kind of words of wisdom do you have for for future generations? You know, I really do think the key is taking advantage of your interests and your aptitude. If you have an interest in science and math, you should follow that. But if you have an interest in music uh, or writing, there are every way that there are as many ways as there are people on the planet to contribute toward a better future. One of my kids is a musician and composer and is writing a musical about climate change. My other one is an environmental biologist. And so his work is more directly involved. But and at me as a policy person, these are all things that you can do beyond just building rockets. And being an astronaut will hopefully open up to more people to actually be doing things of value in space. Uh, maybe not, or, or make your billions and buy a ticket, I guess. Um, but, it, but it will be an opportunity, something they can strive for or help facilitate the kinds of things that we're doing in space that uh, can really help us all back here. I say in the book, in the conclusion, we are, we are all astronauts on spaceship Earth. And we're like a spaceship in that everything we do, we count on each other and we keep it healthy and safe together. And we're not doing as much as we could be on that right now. It's a great answer. And do you have, I would assume some future plans lined up for this book? Are you doing a book tour or anything like that? I have been touring. It's just been out a couple of weeks, but for instance, my mother's in Michigan, she's 91. I was there over the weekend and um, spoke there and I already have some interest in um, a documentary Ooh. about the story. Um, and so we'll hopefully be getting the word out. That's wonderful. That's really exciting. I bet a documentary would be incredible. Tons of people would watch. <laughs> well, Lori, it has been such a pleasure having you here today. I'm so honored that I got to speak with you. And thank you so much for being a part of the show. For viewers who want to take a look at your new book, we will post a link here afterwards so everyone can go out and buy it. It's an incredible read. Tons of uh, history and just lots of lots of information, lots of facts, lots of science. And um, it's just a phenomenal book. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me.